Comedian Mitch Hedberg had this line, I think Bigfoot is blurry. It's not the photographer's fault. Well, Adolf Lempert is blurry. This story is blurry. It's not my fault. My name is Andrew Evans, and this is Unboarded. My mother and I were on a train bound for Marseille, and I had a chance to reflect on the information I'd just received. We knew my grandfather, Adolf Lempert, had been buried in 1992, had been exhumed in the year 2000, and that his remains had been taken to Marseille. Based on not much more than the law of averages, I'd made a call to Cemetière Saint-Pierre, the largest cemetery in France's second largest city. I gave them the information I'd obtained from his death certificate and from Cemetière de Les in Nice, his original final resting place. They'd told me to call back the next morning, the morning of our last day in France. Mon grand-père? Oui, oui, oui. Square 31, third row, okay. He was indeed buried there now. Train tickets were hastily purchased. Grave should already have been my first clue that things were going to be characteristically convoluted. When your remains are exhumed, it's usually so they can be taken to an ossuary, a communal resting place, not a new grave. But back when I'd spoken to the Guardian's Kim Wilshire about this, she'd mentioned something. Of course, if a family has a foreign vault, the situation is entirely different. And that was apparently what we were dealing with, a family tomb. But the family name was not Lempert, not even Zuckercandle. It was... Morel. Morel. As soon as we arrived in Cimetière Saint-Pierre, I realised that I had perhaps underestimated its enormity. I assumed that they would produce a map, mark a spot, and send us off in the right direction. But we were led to a people carrier. And though, to my mind, the details I'd been given were quite specific, our driver warned us that this was... Much difficult. Très compliqué. Très compliqué, oui. And it was très compliqué. He drove us to the approximate site, where we continued on foot. Several times he would check the row number, count the number of headstones in, only to realise he'd started from the wrong point. We genuinely began to worry that he was going to have to abandon the search. But finally, we reached the grave. And when I say the grave, I mean the Morel family grave. Its only named occupants were Maurice Morel and Rose Morel. If Agathe Robin from RCI Detectives hadn't gone the extra mile and found my grandfather's second wife Heidi's death certificate, this name would have been meaningless to me. I would likely have assumed there'd been some kind of mistake. But thanks to her, I knew Morel to be the surname of Heidi's new husband, René. 
and from the dates on the grave, Maurice and Rose must have been René's parents. My best guess is that when my grandfather's time was up in his original grave, see previous episode for how that's a thing, the authorities contacted Heidi as his next of kin, and rather than let his remains be moved to an ossuary in Nice, she convinced her new husband, René, to let her first husband into the family tomb. Well, I'm kicking myself now. Of course he's in somebody else's mum and dad's grave. Why wasn't that the first place we looked? Seriously, though, this is not standard graveyard practice. And presumably what doesn't normally happen is that you're moved to the family tomb of your second wife's second husband. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that being moved to a family tomb anywhere was very, very unlikely because okay. one would think that if you had a family tomb, you'd be buried in the family tomb to start with. As we stood by the grave, my mother shed a few tears. Not for his passing so much as the time they could have spent together, if only she'd kept in touch. But my nan had been so devastated by the affair, by his leaving her for another woman, that my mother's choice, her or him, at that time was really no choice at all. Her one impromptu visit to him in Paris had to be kept secret while my nan was still alive. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm fine. It's just Good. emotional. Yeah, of course. It's been a long journey. Yeah. Two years trying to find him. I'd love to tell you what I was feeling at that time, but the truth is, I wasn't feeling much of anything. Maybe it was because there wasn't the finality of a name chiselled in stone, but what I'd imagined would be a conclusion seemed like anything but. I was already thinking about the next steps. When I first received Heidi's death certificate, Agat had suggested trying to contact her widower, René, but truthfully, I'd not given him much thought. Now, though, knowing that he'd allowed my grandfather to share a grave with his mother and father, this was a man I wanted to meet, if only to say thank you. An ossuary can be an unsatisfactory place to visit. People do complain because you can't actually access them. You don't have a place that you can go and pay your respects. Okay, so we're quite fortunate in that respect. You are, yes. When I told Kim about René, she had some advice. If you think this person might still be alive, that's possibly why you need to move quite quickly. She even offered to look herself. If you send me some details, I can see what we can find out from um, people down here. Yeah. Because I'll have a look. I am used to sort of digging around and looking at okay. uh, things a bit obliquely. And for a time, it really did seem as though René was still alive. I drew up a list of retirement homes in and around Nice and began calling to see if he was a resident there. But we eventually did discover that he had passed away on the 31st of October 2016, the year after Heidi. This seemed like the end of the road, and back in London, I started to piece together the information I had. Meanwhile, the story and podcast had featured in a couple of local papers and in the Jewish Chronicle. The print headline, Grandad, He Lied His Way Out of Hell, being replaced by the slightly more sedate, 
Brexit led me to discover the story of my granddad's shower escape for the online version. A week or so after the article's publication, Rosa Doherty, who had written the article, forwarded an email to me. Hi Rosa, my mum read your article last week about Andrew Evans looking for his grandfather, Adolf Lempert. My parents were very friendly with Addy, who used to visit our home, and my parents visited him and his then-wife Heidi in Paris. My mum would be very happy to talk to him if he would like to. Please don't hesitate to ask him to contact me. Regards, Karen Jacobs. It wasn't mentioned in the article, but Addy was the name by which all close friends and family knew my grandfather. There was a strange reluctance to use Adolf. The following email was where I really had to catch my breath. Hi again. Here is a photo of Addy from our wedding in 1982. He is centre of the table. His wife is sitting to the left. Regards, Karen. Dead centre of the frame, staring out at me. Addy. Adolf Moritz Lempert. Looking much as he had done in the picture my mother had from her clandestine visit in Paris a couple of years prior. course, we arranged to meet Karen and her mother, Geraldine, who not only invited us into her home, but allowed me to record some of her memories of Addie, of my grandfather. Reminded first of saying that your grandma was a very keen Freemason. A very keen Freemason. As I'd discovered, in 1968, my grandfather had been excluded from his lodge, Nucleus Lodge, for being three years behind in paying his fees. The present secretary had found the minutes from 1975 when he was readmitted. Welcome back into the lodge. He reaffirmed his intention of making every effort to attend meetings of the lodge and thank the members present for his welcome back. And it must have been just before this that Geraldine and her husband Clive came in. I met Addy when he wanted to rejoin the lodge, which he'd left when he left England. and. My husband and I met him, him and his wife Heidi. Uh, my husband was treasurer of the lodge. This was supposed to be a 30-minute meeting, but... It turned out to be about three hours. You know, we were talking and I think we... I think in the end we had a meal and... <laughs> and we became friends. From then on, we saw quite a lot of them, both in Paris and in London, also in Nice. We had some wonderful times together. He was a real charmer. <laughs> there's, <laughs> no I, question, I, I there's no question about that. Yeah. When I started this process, I think I saw my grandfather's famed charm as surface, maybe. Something he wielded to talk his way into or out of anything as he saw fit. But in Geraldine's recollections, there is warmth and sincerity. He very much liked people. Mm. He, was, he was definitely a people's person. And when she spoke about the love he shared with Heidi, it's clear that although he'd behaved so badly, so deceitfully, see season one, episode three for details, it wasn't all for a fling. And if this was a midlife crisis, he A, left it a bit late, and B, really ran with it. They actually adored each other. Used to call her Shoo. 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 C-H-O-U. Shoo means cabbage in French, by the way, but apparently it is a term of endearment. 
He never seemed to speak to anyone about the Holocaust and the family he'd lost, and Geraldine and Clive were no exception. He didn't talk about what had happened during the war, not at all. Never discussed it. We only knew that he had escaped and that he joined the Air Force and that he, he had a good record in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I knew. Geraldine seemed concerned that we would be underwhelmed by what she had to say. But I was grateful for every word of her razor-sharp recall, pulling the blurry myth into focus. She knew how he'd met Heidi. Yes, it, he met her at um, a trade fair of some sort. I don't... Definitely, it was some sort of a trade fair that he met her. Incidentally, on the marriage certificate, Heidi is listed as a children's nurse, so quite how she came to be at a stamp fair is still a mystery. Clive had actually known Addie before he left for Paris. He would have known my nan, Olive, and may even have met my mother and her sister. But by the time Geraldine met him, he had been remarried for about four years. He, he lived very well in Paris and in Nice. But at some point, and Geraldine is not clear on the details, the money seemed to run out, and he was quite ill towards the end of his life. I wondered about those last days, if he thought about the family he'd left behind if he considered reaching out. We tentatively asked if he ever mentioned having daughters. Well, I, I knew from my husband that he had had two daughters. So and he did and he did mention he did mention, you know, that he had daughters. He, he wasn't hiding that mm -hmm. he had yeah. had daughters. There were also some fascinating insights. One time, when Addie and Geraldine were out together and came across some Hebrew writing, while Geraldine could make out the basics, Addie could read it, start to finish. While this obviously suggests someone who'd had Jewish schooling, which we could have guessed, and a gift for languages, which we knew, it also speaks to someone who, whatever he'd had to do to survive, never lost a sense of his Jewishness. And having survived, I'm sure joining the Freemasons, for example, was in a way part of an ongoing quest to belong. And there were even some straight-up revelations. When she mentioned Heidi's second husband, I smugly said, René Morel, showing how thorough my research had been. But this was not her second husband. She had at least one more husband before René. I asked if Geraldine could remember the last time she saw my grandfather. Nothing sprang to mind, but one of the last times she thought would have been Addie's Ladies' Night. I remember going to his Ladies' Night. That was in Paris. <laughs> that was an interesting thing, but that wouldn't, wouldn't... Wouldn't be suitable for the podcast. And maybe she was right. My grandfather doesn't really have a leading role in this story, but I'm including it for the sheer joy you'll hear in its telling. Plus, in a podcast where I've obsessed over using one man's life to see a bigger picture... It's pleasing, as it draws to a close, to just focus on one fun night spent with friends. Some very quick background. As traditional Masonic lodges were, and remain, men only, they host regular ladies' nights for members to honour and celebrate the women in their lives. 
By all accounts, these are glitzy affairs. An interesting side note, the one exception to this men-only rule is trans women, providing they joined at a time when they still identified or presented as male. Surprise, I know, it has remained a hypothetical ruling since its introduction in 2018. They would still have to be referred to as brother, but can wear traditional female clothing. The guidelines helpfully suggesting a smart dark skirt and top. Anyway, Addie's Ladies' Night. It was at the Intercontinental in Paris, a grand hotel with several ballrooms. And uh, he told us where it was, but he didn't say which ballroom it was in. <laughs> so, dressed in their finest, Geraldine and Clive approached the entrance to one ballroom, but quickly realised... This is not a Masonic do. <laughs> this is a B'mitzvah. <laughs> but... As they were staring through the glass doors, the caterer came out. So he said, oh, have you come for this? And it's just, so we said, no, we've come for a ladies' night. Regardless, the caterer offered to show them around, and before they knew it, they were introduced to the host and hostess. So they, you know, we started talking to them. So they said, oh, would you like to come to the puppets? <laughs> They politely declined, but the invitation was left open. If, if you're not enjoying yourself or anything, you can always come in. You know, we can always make room at the table. Eventually, they did make it to my grandfather's ladies' night and took their seats. But the food being served was not kosher, and Geraldine spoke to a caterer, concerned there would be nothing she could eat. He said, don't worry, my friend's catering next door. What would you like? As the tables were being cleared for dancing, my grandfather and Clive decided that they should check in with the B'mitzvah next door. And at this very orthodox affair, with guests ranging from small children to elderly relatives, they were pleasantly surprised with the entertainment. This is this singer, and she's got a see-through blouse, blouse on this. So, well, I think we, we had to, to drag both of them back. <laughs> Eventually, they were able to drag Clive and Addie back to the ladies' night. But when that function finished, around midnight... The boys said, shall we pop, pop in there? <laughs> so we, we went back in there. <laughs> Do you know what? They put us at a table. <laughs> we stayed there for about an hour. <laughs> and it was still going strong. Wow. That was oh, Addie's ladies' <laughs> night. Okay. That was one of the last. <laughs> oh. That was a lovely memory. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> I can't believe you thought we wouldn't want to hear that story. I don't know. <laughs> I came away feeling like I did have my ending. They had known him, more or less, to the end. Of course, I had my mother's recollections of her father, but I thought this was as close as I was ever going to get now to knowing the man. I would love to have met my grandfather, but really, I would have liked the me I am now to have met the him he was then. What the eight-year-old me, pale, slight and painfully shy, would have made of the 77-year-old Adolf Lempert is far from clear. And, as I said right at the beginning of this whole thing, a little distance can be very useful when telling this story. And if I'd known the man, 
Maybe the myth wouldn't have called out to me so incessantly, and this adventure would never have happened. I've spoken to journalists, activists, lawyers, Freemasons, private detectives, and historians. I've spoken some truly terrible French. And at almost every step, I've been met with kindness, or at a bare minimum, patience. They often say if you're not angry, then you're not paying attention. And with things being the way they are at the moment, it can be very tempting to take the not paying attention option. Researching for this podcast, telling these stories, and the people I have spoken to, helped fend off complacency. While it's been an endeavor that's often bordered on obsession, on balance, I think the focus and drive it's inspired in me has been a ballast to my mental health. And for all that, I can be thankful to my Holocaust-surviving, Nazi-fighting, stamp-dealing, grave-hopping grandfather. What a life, Adolf Moritz Lempert. What a life. That's as far as I can take this story. This is where I have to let it go. Unless... Well, there was that sibling back in Season 1, Episode 1. Morridge? Morier? We never were quite sure how to say it. He or she disappears from the record sometime in the 1930s. And my mother does have this vague memory of her father mentioning an uncle in America, an uncle with the name Zucker Candle. Now, they couldn't have been any older than 10, so they wouldn't have been traveling unaccompanied and may well have been given a different name. But if I can search American immigration documents from 1930 onwards and cross-reference them with the information I have from the Belgian immigration documents, date of birth, place of birth, etc. The Unboarded Podcast was written and produced by me, Andrew Evans, with contributions from my mother, Lynn Evans, from Guardian foreign correspondent Kim Wilshire, and the star of this episode, Geraldine Hartstone. Special thanks to her daughter, Karen Jacobs, and to Rosa Doherty of the Jewish Chronicle. Special thanks also go to my sister Lucy and to my friend Nick for getting the story out there. This podcast is dedicated to my wife, soon to be Dr. Julie Evans. You can get in touch on Twitter at UnbordedPod or via our Facebook page. Just search Unboarded Podcast. If you've enjoyed the series and want to express that financially, visit paypal.me slash unboarded. My name is Andrew Evans. Thank you for listening.
take it easy. Uh, no, we didn't. No.